again rest beside these living waters Christ is calling find refreshing at the cross of living waters lay your life down all the old gone rise up in these living waters there's a river that flows with mercy and love, bringing joy to the city of our God. There our hope is secure, do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living waters. Spirit moving, mercy washing. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for our Sunday morning service. My name's Jay. If you're new to City Church, I'm the director of worship. And if you're watching live from home, we are so glad that you have joined us. We're going to begin each of our, uh, each of our services we begin every, every morning with a call to worship. And this morning, we're going to read a call to worship, or I will, from two passages. We're going to read a section from Psalm 34, and then I'll read another section from John 7. So as we begin our service together, would you prepare your hearts, listen to these words, and join with me. Listen to this passage, or these passages. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. 
and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And this is Jesus speaking. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me pray for us as we begin. O oh God, our refuge and strength, we are seeking you this morning, just as this psalmist did. And we are accepting Christ's invitation to drink water that is ever refreshing to our souls. Just as you promised the Spirit to flow out of your followers like living waters, may this place be flooded with that same Spirit. Holy Spirit, move among us this morning. May we taste and see that, God, you are good, that you are greatly to be praised, and may we as one church this morning lift your name in praise and adoration for who you are and how you've poured grace upon grace on us through Christ. We ask all this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing together. Lift our voices. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame, but fix our eyes upon the cross and run to Him who showed great love and blame for us. Freely for us. Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. Trampling over death by death. Come awake. Come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come awake. Come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Beneath the weight, beneath the weight of all our sin, we bow to none but heaven's will. No scheme of hell, no scoffer's crowd, no burden great can hold you down and strain. You reign forever. Let your church 
of my own I had no right to draw near your throne but Father you love me still and in love before you laid the world's foundation you predestined to adopt me as your own you have raised me up so high above my station I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. And you rose that I might be 
Good morning, City Church family. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. I love you. Good to see you in this space again. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be a challenge for me this morning to make it through this service, but for good reasons. It's because I care about you, um, and there's been a lot that we've gone through as a, as a family this past year. We would love to pray for you. Uh, we would love to get to know you. And there's a few ways that you can do that. Number one, you can come chat with me after the service or anybody on our staff. You can greet your neighbor and say hello. <clears throat> Number two, you can fill out a connection card. Um, and you can do that in two ways. You can either fill out a physical connection card and then drop it off. There's a brown box in the back of this uh, room. Or you can, fill out a, you can still fill out a card online. If you go to citychurchgnv.com slash connection, that's always an option. You can pull out your phone and make it happen that way as well. And please, that's not just for prayer requests, although that's the most important thing. That's a really great opportunity for you to communicate with us about your interest in the life of the church, especially if you're new. I will say that next Sunday, is it next Sunday? Yes, after both services, we'll be having a coffee gathering for those that would want to spend maybe 10 or so minutes with the staff to ask us questions, to learn more about what we're doing in downtown. And Especially if you've been outside for a while, just kind of casually checking us out, but maybe now that we're kind of moving back into some of our more normal rhythms, you'd like to get to know us better, that would be a great opportunity for you, and I would encourage you to come to that um, next week. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can give online, uh, citychurchgnv.com slash give, or again, you have the brown box sitting back there um, at the end of this room. Our community groups are the backbone of our church in many respects. However, they're on break right now. 
um, for the month of June. So our leaders and our hosts can rest, uh, gather themselves, and they'll kind of have a staggered restart. Some will begin in July, and then some will begin in August, and we would love to get you connected. Understand that even now, um, it's still possible to connect with a group. We would love to get you connected with a leader so you can get to know them before these groups resume. And a lot of these groups will be doing organic things in the month of June, so you could participate in those rhythms. Please indicate your interest. We will get you connected, even though they're on break. Um, we would love to help you get plugged in. And the break is honestly, it's gonna, be the, it's gonna go right before, it's gonna flash before your eyes. Um, here's what I really wanna do this morning. Uh, before we preach God's word. I want to do some thank yous. There's a lot of people to thank, a lot of teams to thank that have made the past 15 months uh, possible. I was thinking about, uh, we had some dark days, everyone did, leading up to when we had to kind of pull the plug on our Sunday services back. It was the second weekend in March. Um, we had the return of daylight saving. Um, and we're like, man, we made it through daylight saving, praise God, that's always a struggle bus Sunday for our church family, everything's an hour earlier, and we're like, all right, great, now we can move into next Sunday, and uh, you know, surely it'll be a wonderful spring, and Easter, and everything like that, and then we found ourselves Saturday at the next Saturday afternoon, getting to this place in which we realized, you know what, we're going to have to call it uh, for this Sunday. Definitely one of the worst moments of my life, um, and for a lot of people, not just myself, not just our church, but churches all over the country, and then ultimately churches around the world. However, God has been supremely faithful to us. We'll be talking more about that in just a few moments. And one of the provisions that he's given us is some really wonderful people that have charted this course along with us. And so I want to mention a few people. First of all, almost immediately we set up a health team uh, to help guide our church medically as we sought to make decisions about what we should and shouldn't be doing. And they serve faithfully behind the scenes uh, for this past year. Um, here are their names. So we had Kyla Katani, uh, Jennifer Lancaster. I'm sorry, not Jennifer Lancaster, although she is here, and that's wonderful. <laughs> Jennifer Parker, uh, excuse me. Uh, Dorian Rose, John Michael Gonzalez. Um, uh, Maggie Ansel served on this team. So could you please give them a round of applause? incredible amount of work, stressful work. I mean, emails and getting together on Zoom and trying to use limited information to make hard decisions. And so they have done, you know, Ryan and I, uh, we are not experts in the field of medicine. And so ourselves, our elders really wanted to put together a team of people that really know what they're doing. And they served us remarkably well. So thank you to them. Thank you to our entire staff team for working diligently behind the scenes to keep things going. For example, a lot of our rhythms change. You know, Vicki Parker, bless her heart, had just come onto our staff team as a children's ministry director. And instead of managing classrooms like she was looking forward to, she spent a lot of her time actually traveling around the county, physically coming to families and saying hello and dropping off gift bags and just checking in on people. So things like that were happening. If you're not a family, you might not know about that, but Vicki was at it. Uh, her husband, Rick, was assisting her. So thank you to our staff team. Uh, for functioning, I think, really well in, in stepping up to the plate. Thank you to our elders and deacons uh, who are also making a, a number of difficult decisions. The deacons were trying to figure out how to serve people physically uh, during a season when you weren't supposed to be around people physically. <laughs> um, so that was a huge challenge. How do we minister to people? Because the needs kept going. In fact, if anything, they were exacerbated by the pandemic. So thank you for 
um, your service. Our community group leaders had to adapt big time. Most everybody went online. You were doing Zoom CG for a while, uh, exclusively for a few months. And the Lord used it, but Zoom CG now, if you've been on there, it's, it's not easy. Um, you, you sense the loss, I think, of physical, personal relationships very acutely in that setting. So thank you for our community group leaders for adapting. Um, and eventually, of course, most of our groups went outside, and so that was yet another adaptation that they had to make. And we're very grateful that we had a lot of really good outdoor spaces within the life of our church to have these community groups. Um, thank you, of course, to our AV and worship teams. These teams really never stopped. Uh, even after we went online as um, a church family, our AV and our worship team had to keep going. We had to keep filming um, and sending out services and then eventually uh, playing music and preaching in this space by ourselves. For a while, Jay was our worship and AV, AV team by himself because we didn't want anyone else in here. So he was carrying a really heavy load for a few months. And then eventually we started adding more people into the band and um, to the AV team to do the live stream, which we've been doing for the last few months. So thank you uh, to all of them. Thank you to our children's ministry team for, I already mentioned what Vicki has been doing. Then, of course, the last couple of months, they figured out how to do children's ministry in a microbrewery warehouse, um, which we just never imagined we'd be doing that. Um, and we had a lot of explaining to do for some folks, some new people that came on Sunday mornings. And... So they did a tremendous job, and then before that, children's ministry was um, scripture memory and songs on Sunday mornings out in the beer garden, so thank you to the many people who led the singing and the dancing and the scripture memory. You guys did an unbelievably faithful job with that, and I think the whole church benefited from seeing that and watching that happen on the regular. Um, <clears throat> and finally, and I hope I brought this up here, I want to thank, there's other people that I'll probably remember to thank in the middle of the sermon, and I'll just do it. Um, but finally, I wanted to thank uh, First Magnitude for being um, unbelievable host. So Christine Denny, so we thanked Christine Denny a couple weeks ago. We said various thank yous. We gave them a gift. Uh, we're going to give them another gift down the road, a more artistic gift. But then she thanked us, and I wanted to read this note that she sent to us this past week. So this is from Christine Denny, one of the co-founders, currently co-owners of First Magnitude, where we've been meeting outside. She says this. She says, I just want to send a message um, of thanks to City Church for your support over the past year. You all have been wonderful guests, and we have so appreciated having you here. We were blessed to get connected with you. Having you here on Sundays has been a bright, a bright point during this difficult time. We enjoy having you here, and you have been such great stewards of our space. Please let your entire team and congregation know how much we appreciate you and how much your support has meant to all of the First Magnitude staff over this challenging year. Your support of this small business has had a greater impact than you probably know. We wish you all the best and hope to keep in touch. Please let us know if we can be of any service in the future. Thank you. So that's from Christine Denny. I think really moving, powerful to see that email. Um, and here's the actual last thank you. Thank you to all of you uh, for being flexible and making these adaptations coming to First Magnitude, watching online. Way back in the day, we were, we were putting our service online, then we were all getting on Zoom together, if you remember that, um, and, and trying to worship that way. Thank you for being flexible. Thank you for being gracious. Um, Ryan and I have been, of course, conversing with a lot of pastoral 
colleagues these past 15 months figuring out what the heck we're doing out there. And I got to tell you, I have felt, and I didn't say this to them, that our uh, church has been especially gracious, not only to us as leaders, but to one another. Uh, so thank you for that. And that speaks really well of you. And um, it's, an, it's evidence of the Lord's work in us and among us. The scripture passage for this morning is going to be from the book of Ezra. We are actually doing Ezra chapters 7 and 8, and you know the pattern by now. So we say we're doing 7 and 8, and we really are doing 7 and 8, but I'm only going to read the first 10 verses on the front, and otherwise we would just never make it through this book. So Ezra chapters 7 and 8, I will be reading verses 1 through 10 of chapter 7, and then I will pray for us. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to pull that out and follow along as I read this text and as we preach through this passage. And the passage will also be up here on the screen as well. Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zariah, the son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mereath, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzai, son of Buckai, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we are very aware that the good hand of God has been upon us these past 15 months. We see some of it, but we understand that your work among us, through us, has been exponentially greater than we know, and for that we rejoice and give you thanks. We thank you for the spiritual and physical and emotional provisions that you've given our church family these past 15 months. We thank you that people have legitimately grown in their faith in Christ Jesus even despite all of these difficulties. We thank you that people, generally speaking, have weathered COVID very well, either not gotten it or if they have, it hasn't been very severe. And so we thank you for that. And that is a grace to us. Lord, I pray that this season that we are embarking on together as a church family, returning to this building would be the most electric spiritual season we've had in the history of this church where we would corporately grow in our zeal for you, and that we would experience 
all kinds of people hearing about Jesus, responding in faith, being baptized. I pray that we would look back upon these next few months and realize that you did a, a miraculous work. I pray that you would equip us as we look at this text. Your Holy Spirit would work in power that we might grow in Christ even right now. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. But we're back, back after a 15-month absence, 15-month absence. I think it feels great. You know, I was trying to think of some, you know, witty analogy here, and it reminds me of the feeling that I had as a kid when I would get ice cream after my shots. I hated shots more than most people, more than pretty much everybody. I hated them. I would be anxious for at least a week, probably a couple of weeks, before I got them. But then that, that post-shot ice cream now was extra refreshing. It was, it was culinary bliss, albeit with very questionable ambiance because we were eating, at the end of the day, rainbow sherbet near the cash registers of a thrifty drugstore in Huntington Beach, California. Worshipping in our Downtown building has never felt more refreshing, at least to me, even though we worshiped here really hundreds of times before. And wouldn't you know it, we are worshiping here after many people across the country have had their shots or not. And we've boldly, you know, festooned our Facebook profile pictures with our shot or not. Opinions. This is, you know, the golden age of American civil discourse. <laughs> but the shot debates aren't the real story here, of course. The real story is COVID and the death and destruction that it has caused here and around the world. It, the real story is the national conversation we've been having about race and justice. The real story is political polarization and the rapid erosion of charitable assumptions concerning those who are on the other side. It's been an eventful 15 months, hasn't it? And now we're back, and it feels good, and God has sustained us. And he's been overwhelmingly faithful, overwhelmingly faithful. But now what? Now what? What should we be doing now that we're back? Because, I mean, City Church's mission statement is not to be a church that meets inside. Can you imagine seeing that on our website? You know, City Church is a community of people who passionately desire to have worship services inside. Now, our mission statement is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we faithfully pursue that mission, our hope is that the Lord helps us become an authentic community walking with God in our city. So now what? I have some very excellent news. The book of Ezra helps us to clarify the now what. I kid you not, it does so in the context of a previously exiled people trying to find their way after regaining their long-lost home. The difference is that they lost their home for decades while we lost ours for a year and some change. 
So two reflections this morning as we attempt to sort out the what now as we rehab it, our home, after a very different kind of exile. So two reflections. Number one, God's people gather around the word. Then number two, gathering requires effort. God's people gather around the word. And then number two, gathering requires effort. We'll start with that first reflection. God's people gather around the word. Last week we saw that despite an unexpectedly difficult process, the returned Israelites, the, the Israelites that returned from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem in the first wave, those exiles eventually did finish rebuilding the Jerusalem temple in 516 B.C. It wasn't as spectacular as King Solomon's original temple, but it was a temple nonetheless. And the Israelites celebrated the dedication of the temple with joy. You can see this in the book of Ezra, chapter 6, verse 16. Ezra chapter 7, which is our text this morning, picks up after this, as it says. I'm quoting from verse 1. After this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. After this sounds short to our ears. You know, like, as in, I'm brushing my teeth, and then after this, I'm going to go to bed. But the reference to King Artaxerxes, the first, specifically, the seventh year of his reign, as you can see in verse 7, it tells us that we are actually jumping ahead 57 years. So temple gets rebuilt, celebration, then after this, bam, 57-year jump forward. Why this jump? To check in on the second wave of Israelite exiles returning to Jerusalem from Babylon. We call that the first wave returned to Jerusalem in 538, 537 BC by the decree of King Cyrus under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Now the second wave is returning in 458 BC by the decree of King Artaxerxes, under the leadership of a guy named Ezra, the namesake of this book. Ezra was a remarkable dude. Honestly, one of the most impressive people in the entire Bible. His his greatest weakness was probably working too hard. You know how that is. His greatest weakness in an interview, working too hard. He surely would have benefited from Dr. Henry Cloud's book on boundaries. Ezra was a priest, and not just any priest. You can see in verses 1 through 5, he was a priest in the line of Aaron, the original high priest of Israel and the brother of Moses. By the way, that priestly lineage is a sermon by itself. God didn't just preserve an Israelite remnant during the exile. He preserved specific lineages of people necessary to establish and direct Israelite worship and community life. Ezra's existence, Ezra's pedigree was a huge morale booster for the very beleaguered exiles. Ezra was also a scribe, and therefore, verse 6, very knowledgeable and skilled in the handling of the law of Moses. He knew the Pentateuch, the first five books you find in your Old Testament. He knew that like the back of his hand, especially the parts in Exodus and Leviticus 
and Deuteronomy that deal with the complexities of the Mosaic law. In fact, Jewish rabbis ultimately considered Ezra to be the most proficient Mosaic law guy in Israelite history, aside from Moses. But that's not all. Ezra, I told you he's a remarkable guy, he also appears to have been an official in the Persian court. This is the best explanation for the opportunity. You can see this again in verse 6, that Ezra had to directly ask King Artaxerxes for things. Not everybody could do that, but Ezra could, probably because he was an official in the Persian court. Plus Ezra, he had all sorts of Persian granted authority upon his return to Jerusalem, including the authority, you can see this in verse 25, to appoint judges. Ezra's ascension into the courts of pagan power it reminds us of other famous biblical figures like Joseph and Daniel and Esther. Church, God can, he can put any of his people anywhere he wants at any time. Thank you for playing. Enough about Ezra, though. The real star of the show here is God. The real star of the show here is God, which explains Ezra's mission both in Babylon and upon his return to Jerusalem. Ezra wanted to go back to Jerusalem for a very specific purpose. And we find that purpose defined for us in verse 10. He went up to Jerusalem, for he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So in exile, consider this, in exile, and this will preach now, Ezra didn't sit around feeling sorry for himself. You know, just, just wasting away in the grip of self-pity. Instead, he feasted on God's word. And he applied it faithfully. Thereby trusting in the Lord's purposes for the exile, even though it was preeminently difficult and long. I told you, that's another sermon right there. He was in exile. He feasted on God's word instead of wasting away in the grip of self-pity. We already got like two sermons this morning. And we're just getting started. And what happens? What happens when you feast on God's word and it becomes near and dear to your heart? Then what? You want others to know about it. Especially your relatives. Especially your relatives who have returned to your ancestral home to reestablish its culture and worship and community life, which for the Israelites all went together. And now we can fully understand Ezra's zeal to ask Artaxerxes for permission to leave Babylon and to return to Jerusalem. He wanted to make sure the Israelites who had previously returned were loving the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. Deuteronomy chapter 6. He wanted to make sure that they were loving their neighbor as themselves. Leviticus chapter 19. Together, these statements, they summarize the heart of the Mosaic laws Jesus himself shows us in Matthew chapter 22. That was his mission. That was Ezra's mission. And to be sure, this mission makes sense far beyond Ezra's personal zeal. Anything less than a God-centered, law-abiding return to Jerusalem 
would have been a disaster for the Israelites. A disaster along the lines of what they experienced after they originally gained the land and then were forced into exile. So the goal wasn't just going back. The goal was going back in the right way. Given that mission, given that mission, not, not just to go back to Jerusalem, but to go back in the right way, given that mission is not surprising that Ezra found favor in the eyes of Artaxerxes. Persian kings, they were spiritual pragmatists of the highest order. If people in their empire, like the Israelites, worshipped a particular god, the king, like Artaxerxes, wanted those people to worship their god on behalf of the king and his kingdom. Now, the Persian kings weren't saying that they truly believed in these gods, but they didn't want to try their luck either. And we can see that pragmatism in the letter that Artaxerxes wrote to Ezra. Look at this pragmatism in verse 23 of chapter 7. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. So in other words, Ezra, go back and help your people rightly worship their God, and while you're at it, pray for me and my sons, just in case, couldn't hurt, if you know what I mean. Let's not get all judgy here about Artaxerxes. All of us are like, Friday the 13th, that's just, that's just a silly superstition. But then when we're booking flights on Delta.com, we're like, yeah, I'll stay an extra day and fly back on the 14th. Even though the flights on the 13th are like $6. But more importantly, Ezra found favor in the eyes of the king because God clearly wanted to bless Ezra's zeal to teach the scriptures to the returned exiles and to oversee their worship in Jerusalem. Thus, this reflection we get from Ezra in verses 27 and 28. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Artaxerxes thought he was being practical, but the Lord had a very different purpose in mind, a far grander purpose in mind, that the people he was regathering in Jerusalem would know and do the law, and in so doing, worship him rightly. See, church, I am not Ezra. I'm not a priest. I'm not the son of a priest. I do not have the ear of a pagan king. When it comes to missional zeal, though, Ezra and I are very much on the same page. I am not interested in merely returning to this building. I am interested in returning rightly. So as we return to our building, my heart for City Church is that we would be a people gathered around the Word of God, individually and corporately. Why? You know, for the sake of puffing ourselves up with knowledge? For the sake of winning the 2021 Alachua County Bible Quiz Bowl? 
No. That is intriguing, though. We've got some horses in the barn, man. I kind of want to give it a shot. We gather around the Word for the sake of loving God and for the sake of loving our neighbors. We gather around the Word for the sake, Romans 12 now, for the, for the sake of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. I know this sounds like classic pastor talk. You know, you gotta, you got to read your Bibles more, everybody. I mean, that, pastors are always saying that. They're waving their arms and they're saying, you got to read your Bible. But in addition to the very providential timing of this Ezra text, I see two more reasons to believe that at this very hour, the Lord desires for us to be uniquely focused on his word. Two more reasons beyond the providence of this text. Number one, for quite a lot of people, including people in our church family, the challenges of the past 15 months have promoted a kind of spiritual lethargy, even spiritual depression. A lot of people would say that their love for God's word has cooled. Which makes sense. I mean, when, when our spiritual rhythms and practices get disrupted, there, there are usually spiritual consequences. I get it. And how do we deal with the lethargy and the depression? Well, we get back in the Word, even if we don't feel like it, trusting that the Spirit of God will be at work in us anyway as we read it and hear it, and we will say more about that in just a moment. It's the first reason. Second reason why I think even at this very hour we should be uniquely focused on the Word of God. At least in my lifetime, and probably in all of our lifetimes, there has never been a greater need for rock-solid truth. I mean, how else do you, do you sort through the morass of you know, fake news and alternative facts and misinformation and conspiracies and deconstruction? Where else do you go right? This is where I thought I might start having some of those emotional problems I was warning you about. I'm going to try not to get choked up about this. I have never, and I mean never, been more grateful to God to have a Bible. I have never been more grateful to have a book that's written by the authoritative God of the universe who knows what he's doing and literally is truth. And we don't just have a book. We have 66 of them. Ezra had a handful of books. We have dozens. Ezra organized worship around a temple and a sacrificial system, but the scriptures we have today organize us around Jesus, the true and greater temple, the true and final sacrifice. We have, we have way better resources than Ezra had. Way better. Ezra would agree. And this self-deterministic, autonomous age, we might react against authoritative truth since, you know, it, it constrains us, it hinders self-expression and so forth. But if the scriptures we preach from each week here at City Church are indeed the true words of God, then I would love to be constrained by them. 
I would love to be constrained by. And here's why. Those kinds of constraints, they actually equip me and they unleash me to flourish in this world as I live according to God's purposes for me. They're gracious constraints from a loving God. It's full of mercy and full of compassion. You know, seat belts, they constrain me, but they also help me come home from work to see my family instead of flying through the windshield of my car in a fender bender. Now, if we're convinced we want to do this, if we're convinced that we do want to gather around the Word, and I know that a lot of you are wrestling with this, and I hope that we can dialogue about the authority of God's Word, the truthfulness of God's Word. One of the things that you're going to see happen in a couple of weeks is we're going to start doing uh, kind of a Q&A session after sermons. Where I'm going to sit down in a specified room, and we can get together, and we can talk about things. I would love to have those conversations. I know some of you are wrestling with those questions. Keep wrestling with them. We'll, we'll walk with you. But if we are convinced that we want to do this, if we are convinced that we want to gather around the Word of God, if we want to come back to our building as a people gathered around the Word, how do we actually do that? What does this look like? Here's our second reflection. Gathering requires effort. It requires effort. I wish I could say that in a more winsome way, but I can't. But hopefully the way they unpack it will be winsome. I alluded to this last week, and I'm going to mention it again this week. To some degree, you're feeling me on this. I know you are. To some degree, reading Ezra and Nehemiah should wear you out. And I'm not just talking about the fatigue that might set in when you make your way through an Israelite census or a treasury report. I'm talking about the sheer amount of effort required for the Israelites to reclaim patterns of worship that were lost during the exile after Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. I mean, just track with me here. Just to go back to Jerusalem, the leaders like Zerubbabel and then Ezra had to get permission for the journey from pagan kings, not so easy, then the actual journey from Babylon to Jerusalem took months, and you can see this in our text in chapter 7, verse 9, months. And as they made the journey, they had to carry a ton of building supplies and accoutrements. And then upon arrival, they actually had to build the things, like the altar and the temple. And then they had to study the law to refresh themselves on the particular so that they could rightly regulate their worship. And then they had to make sure the priests and temple servants and so forth knew what they were doing and in the right stations. And then they had to deal with the adversarial posture of their neighbors. And then in chapter 8, turn the page to Ezra chapter 8, verses 15 through 20, right after the genealogy of those returning with Ezra as a part of this second wave, right after that we learned that Ezra's departure was delayed because he noticed he didn't have any Levites with him at the gathering camp, they're about to go to Jerusalem, and he's like, wait a minute, we don't have any Levites. Why not? Why don't they have any Levites? It's quite possible <laughs> that these Levites didn't show up because they knew what they were getting themselves into. 
Babylon was kind of nice for them. They knew back in Jerusalem they were going to have to get oriented around the temple again. They were going to have to start, you know, doing some things. And who wants in on that? After you live in Babylon for a while, it starts to feel kind of comfortable. Ezra knew he needed to bring some Levites with him to man the temple according to the law. So he paused everything in order to send some emissaries to get some Levites. It was a huge pain in the rear. It caused a delay. But it was also a successful mission. And then Ezra was so encouraged that he chalked the success up, and you see this in chapter 8, verse 18, to the good hand of our God. And then, as we can see in chapter 8, verses 21 through 23, Ezra determined that they were spiritually not ready to depart for Jerusalem because they hadn't prayed to the Lord to ask the Lord for protection. So Ezra declared a a fast throughout the gathering camp, as you can see in verse 21, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all of our goods. And we see in verse 23 that the Lord indeed listened to their entreaty. If you're still not tired yet, Notice that in verse 21, that prayer includes a prayer over their children. They were traveling with children for months. I love my kids, but reading that made me want to take a nap. And finally, and I promise this is the last thing for now, once Ezra and the second wave of returnees finally headed out for Jerusalem, verse 31 tells us that, As they made their journey, they had to deal with various ambushes along the way. Why again were Ezra and the returnees going through all of this? To know and to do the law, including rightly worshiping God in the rebuilt Jerusalem temple and to ensure that the Israelites who had already returned to Jerusalem were doing the same thing. Gathering around the word, and more broadly speaking, worshiping God. All of that takes effort. It takes energy. You see this. If your take on the grace of God is, you know, no energy required, just sit back, relax, enjoy the ride, think again. As Dallas Willard and others have pointed out, grace is certainly opposed to earning Nobody can earn grace, otherwise it wouldn't be grace. But truly enjoying that grace requires obedience, doing what the Lord has designed us to do as his people, which takes effort and it takes energy. And actually, obedience effectively confirms that we've experienced God's grace because experiencing that kind of miraculous love and compassion It gives us the desire and the courage to trust what God is telling us about how we should live. And how should we live? Among other things, by gathering around the Word, which is going to take some effort. It's going to mean meditating on it day and night. It's going to mean teaching it to one another. It's going to mean being encouraged by it and also warned by it. And ultimately, it's going to mean doing what it says. Remember that Ezra's zeal was a combination of knowing and doing. That's really important. 
orthodoxy and orthopraxy. For some of us right now, maybe many of us, maybe most of us, I hope not, but maybe, our spiritual lives are like a, a lawnmower that's been sitting in the garage for the winter. There might be a little bit of gas in it, you know, kind of at the bottom, but it's old gas, it's grody. The engine is ice cold. I mean, even if you prime it a hundred times, which you really shouldn't do because you might flood the engine, but even if you prime it a hundred times, you're not so sure anything will happen when you pull the string. And as I said earlier, I get it. It's been such a hard, just, just deflating year. But you know what? Prime it anyway. Prime it anyway. Prime it with the nectar of God's word, especially as we return to our building and seek to reclaim some of what's been lost this past year. Prime it again and again and again, even if you don't feel like it, even if you're entirely skeptical about the whole enterprise. Prime it, prime it, prime it, and then do what it says, regardless of how culturally celebrated or denigrated that obedience might be. How do we set our hearts to study the law of the Lord as Ezra's posture is described in chapter 7, verse 10? How do we do that? Well, here's a few things. I am convinced, and I, I'm happy to have, bring this to the Q&A down the road. I am convinced that everybody in the world can go to bed 10 minutes early, 10 minutes early, and wake up 10 minutes early and read God's word. Show up regularly on Sunday mornings, and hear God's word preached. Commit God's word to memory. Probably the most powerfully fruitful, yet neglected, Christian practice. Gather with other followers of Jesus and discuss God's word together for the sake of right understanding and application. Confess and repent when God's word exposes areas of your life they're spiritually out of sorts. Give thanks when God's word reveals another layer of wonder concerning the character and the mission of the triune God. And then as you grow in your knowledge of the word and your, your zeal for the word, mentor other people. Invest in other people. And church, let me encourage you as we close. God is going to use that priming. None of that priming will be in vain. He's going to use it. Your spiritual engine will eventually be reborn, even if it requires more tinkering than you'd like. One day you will pull that string and things will start to happen. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
and all that he does, he prospers. Amen. Every week at City Church, we celebrate the Lord's communion table together. It's an opportunity for remembrance, to remember that God is truly with us, and that Christ was crucified and raised for us. And by the way, as we remember and participate in this meal, we are trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is present and powerfully working among us to actually nourish us and transform us. This is not some rote thing that we are doing. This transformative weekly work that blesses us, that is a grace to us, that Jesus commanded us for remembrance for a purpose. So I would welcome you to it, especially if you're a follower of Jesus who is really just, just experiencing the depths of your sin. You know, sometimes people think that this is for perfect people. This is, this is for people that are seeing the ugliness and saying, yes, I need that grace. I hope especially you will come and be nourished and encouraged this morning. If you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, we're glad that you're here. Instead of taking a meal that you wouldn't say that you believe in, this time we would encourage you to be reflecting on what we just talked about. Uh, we would encourage you, as when we get the uh, Q&A off the ground, to come to that, to bring your questions, your hard questions. Let's wrestle together. In the olden days, before our 15-month break, we would have communion stations here, here, and then in the back. And we're basically doing the same thing, but with a twist for now. We will have an elder or a deacon here or here, and they will each be holding one of these baskets. The difference is instead of having a cup and a bowl, they're going to have a basket with these prepackaged, gorgeous communion kits. Um, so they will be here and they will be here. However, we understand that some people uh, will be more comfortable going to our welcome table and just personally taking a, a, a kit off of the table. And so you're welcome to do that too. So I'll set the table for communion and then I'll pray. And then you can come forward and receive a communion kit up here if you'd like, or you can go back on your own time to that communion table, uh, to the hospitality table in the back and pick up a packet that way as well. We'll have those uh, set out for you. So hopefully that makes sense. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples and he uh, took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Father, we are beyond grateful for this meal, the timeliness of it, to take it afresh in this space. And I do pray that as we participate, we would indeed be nourished in our remembering, that we would be changed I pray that any sin that gets exposed during this time, that we would bring it to the light and that we would freshly enjoy the grace of God in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
is my shepherd I won't be wanting I won't be wanting He makes me rest In fields of green With quiet streams It's a 
sing, I hear the Savior say, I hear the Savior say, my strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine only Just paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it bright as snow. Praise the one. Praise the one who 
worshiping with you. You have no idea this morning. Thank you for being here. I look forward to seeing you Sunday after Sunday, Lord willing, in this very venue. You didn't know it, but we were actually having uh, a test of sorts this morning uh, in that for the first time ever, there's children downstairs, and we did put a lot of acoustical things in to kind of mitigate noise, and we worked with a, what do you call it, an acoustician? Yes. What in the world? Uh, so we did that, um, and I think it worked. We didn't, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have a plan B. Um, so we're very encouraged this morning. Hear this, hear this benediction we'll sing to doxology. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Substance of my being feels worthless when I'm weak. I make my own mistakes, but you cover with grace. I'm keeping score, and I'm certain.
Pretended I couldn't hear you speak. 